in our hands. Here we stand. I'm a teacher, I'm black, and I'm a man. Teach, mentor, volunteer. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another broadcast of the In Demand podcast. Now, today we're talking about um, college access, um, uh, college uh, retention and matriculation of our students. Um, and we have some special guests on the program today. And I'll let you guys introduce yourself. We'll start with you, uh, Mr. Rutherford. Thank you, Brother Kwan. Uh, Chris Rutherford, Director of uh, Community Mobilization Strategy for the Michigan College Access Network. All right. Um, Ms. Johnson. Sure. Ashley Johnson, uh, Director of Detroit College Access Network and Director of the Detroit Promise. All right. And Dr. Harvell. Brother, thank you so much uh, for having me. Thank you so much. My name is Calvin Rohn Harvell. I'm a professor of sociology at Henry Ford College. I'm also the coordinator of the Black Male and Queens Focus Group. Queens means quintessential, unique essence of ebony, necessary sisters. We are an academic and social support network on campus there for the young people. Thank you for having me here. All right. All right. So, you know, I guess I just want to jump right into it. You know, what is the state of uh, 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 college enrollment? You know, um, would our um, our students matriculating through college? Like, what's the state of it, and you know, what's what's being done in our in our region? Yeah, well, I'll jump in on that, uh, uh, brother Quan, and, and thanks again. Uh, we know how deeply you are invested in our students here uh, in Detroit uh, and and around the metro area and your work. So, thank you first for your work, and I know you are in the building with our students uh, now, and so uh, we certainly appreciate you being on the front lines. Uh, as we get through this pandemic and, and bring uh, some wholeness back to our communities. Uh, but definitely, you know, uh, we there's there's a couple of things going on. So first of all, there's a message that has to uh, continue to resonate that that uh, a post-secondary credential is a necessity after high school. Uh, there's no longer a place uh, to do nothing after high school. Uh, there are a lot of things that we want to tell students that they need to be doing. But the main thing that I want to say is that they need to be doing something and, and it has to be focused uh, in learning beyond high school, regardless of your high school challenge, regardless of your high school success. Uh, you need to be doing something after high school. And so I, I want to reiterate that uh, not just to our students, but to our parents uh, and that we need to start planning and working as early as possible uh, to get our students prepared. Uh, and when we say a post-secondary uh, credential, we're talking about formal education beyond high school, whether it's college, both two-year and four-year, or some form of a stackable credential uh, in the trades. Uh, and this becomes extremely critical uh, given the fact that, you know, we are facing an enrollment crisis nationally, uh, and even more so, even deeper crisis, uh, I believe, here in the state of Michigan. And we know that uh, for Michigan, colleges were already being challenged uh, before the uh, pandemic, uh, given that the number of college-age students uh, in the state was already uh, in decline, and so we, you know, our colleges themselves have fewer numbers uh, to pull to pull from, uh, and so that's come, uh, you know, compounded by uh, Michigan's investment uh, in college here in the state. Michigan simply has not 
invested until recently with the current administration, but even then the investment doesn't equal what it needs to be. Uh, and the investment uh, doesn't equal what's going on in the states that are doing the best. Uh, and so we have to be cognizant of that as well. Uh, we know that in a lot of ways, this state has been regressive around college. Uh, we know that we have a governor now that's issued a, uh, 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 has adopted the philosophy of this state has to be educated, meaning that there has to be, she wants to have 60% uh, college attainment in this state by the year 2030. Uh, she's adopted that as a mantra uh, and, and part of her work goal. Uh, she has to pull the funding down and has been working to pull funding down uh, and oftentimes a resistant legislator, uh, legislature. Um, and so we know that she's working very hard to do it. But even in that, uh, what we what is getting approved and what is coming down uh, is still, you know, we still have a ways to go uh, to get to where we need to be. Uh, we know that support for students in Michigan has declined from around 10,000 uh, in the year 2000 uh, in terms of state investment to about $6,150. You know, uh, and Michigan ranks 48th uh, in the nation around those around those numbers uh, around college investment. Uh, and the funny thing about that data, uh, as we like to say at MCAN, is the only reason we're 48th is because there are two states that don't report. Uh, so we don't know <laughs> what their numbers are. So we we could very well be 50th uh, in investment. Uh, so we know that FAFSA completion now is uh, is at about uh, was at about 42% in the 2019-2020 year, and that's a key indicator uh, around uh, students being able to go to college. You have to fill out the FAFSA form, uh, particularly for low-income first-generation students. To, to It's like the first step almost. Uh, and so, you know, when those numbers drop, they're down to about 36%. Uh, but even then, that's still a downward trend from previous years. Uh, so uh, we know a lot of that's due to COVID. Excuse me. However, we know that uh, you know we're still it's 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 been it's been difficult uh, getting our students where they need to be, um, and uh, we also know that Michigan ranks at the bottom, uh, forty nine of fifty states with the drop in enrollment this year. So uh, this is important not just because we have a governor who's adopted that sixty percent by twenty thirty, but it's most important when we think about uh, uh, as at first that as people say when America catches a flu, uh, cold, the black community catches the flu. Uh, and we know that when we look at the data, fewer and fewer African-American students are choosing two-year, four-year options. Uh, so this becomes extremely problematic given that uh, it's necessary what it takes to survive in the 21st century as an individual. Uh, but even more important, uh, this lack of preparation for the workforce or even entrepreneurship uh, can have extreme impact on African-American community uh, and, uh, and its economy going forward. Well, I'll just say, one, I'm super excited to be on this call with you guys. So much excellence on this call. I'm looking forward to not only sharing, but also learning a lot during this uh, during this podcast. But, you know, I think Chris talked a lot about what's happening nationally. So I want to lay a little bit of context for what the numbers are saying is happening in Detroit, if you guys might find that helpful to the conversation. Um, so, you know, I think the first thing is that people just think that kids in Detroit don't enroll in college. They do. Um, and so... Typically, in a typical year, we have between 55 and about 62 percent of kids from Detroit go to college, which I think is significantly higher than what the average person thinks, because a lot of the headlines have been that the K-12 system, there's dropout, there's a lot of dropouts and a lot of other things like that. 
but really most of the kids in Detroit actually enroll. Now the national, the state average is I think 65%, Chris, somewhere up in there. Yeah. So we're not necessarily at the state average and we have space to grow and we need to, you know, definitely push to get higher, but we have a lot of kids that are actually leaving Detroit high schools and going to college. And then I think the other big thing that, you know, I think is important is that there are 60 high schools in Detroit. And so oftentimes we talk about college, everybody wants to automatically think Castech and Renaissance, but across all 60 high schools in the city, 60 high schools in the city of Detroit, there are 5,000 seniors, right? Um, and Castech has about 400 of those seniors typically a year and Renaissance has about 200, but over 2,000 kids typically depending on uh, the percentage of that year, end up going to some type of uh, two-year or four-year college out of Detroit. So of the 60 high schools in Detroit, about half of them are DPSCD. The other half, a little bit less than the other half, are charter schools. And there's also a handful of private schools in the city. And this is relevant across all those schools. Um, now, there's definitely some discrepancies in which high schools, you know, a Castec or Renaissance has typically over a 70% college enrollment rate and some of the other high schools have less than a 30% college enrollment rate, as you might imagine. Um, I would say the biggest issue though, is our kids aren't graduating college for, you know, numerous reasons. So you might see, you know, somewhere between 55 and 62 ish percent go to college. Um, about, uh, 25% of those kids fall off every year. So what that means is, is after freshman fall, going back to sophomore fall, 25% of those kids didn't make it that, that first year. And then it kind of is a 25% drop off over the next four to six years, depending on where they go. And so what that really looks like is typically less than 30% of kids. And I'll, I'll have to look up the exact number, but less than 30% of our kids come back with a college degree. So we have a lot of kids that are going to college and are in the kind of some college, no degree bucket. So they're going off to college. They're not completing college. And we can talk about numerous reasons why that's happening. I think for this conversation, one is I want to acknowledge that our kids are amazing and already have all the assets they need to be successful in most systems. However, um, a lot of the systems are not set up for them to easily matriculate and get through. In fact, some of them actually have intentional barriers that are built in where they have to prove themselves on what it feels like in order for them to get through. Right. Um, I would say the other thing is, you know, I think there's like sort of a I think there's multiple reasons, right? So there's the academic reasons that kids may not make it through college. So one is, is academic preparedness. So this whole idea of what you learned in high school, did it actually prepare you for your freshman, sophomore, junior year of college, right? Did you go um, to that English one-on-one class and that math class and actually know what's going on? Or they were talking way over your head and it discouraged you to continue forward. So that's one. Um, sometimes our kids feel like they're academically prepared and are hitting and firing all cylinders. And then some kids feel like they're not academically prepared. And that's one of the reasons that our kids leave. The other big bucket is finances. So financially, um, the, you know, uh, the constraint and sometimes the barriers when dealing with student aid and not understanding the lingo can be difficult for students. Um, and so a, a, an example is most kids have to complete a form called the FAFSA, which Chris talked a lot about, but students may not know they have to do that every single year. And they can get flagged for fast verification, right, which keeps them out, which is basically where the uh, U.S. government or the college they're going to ask for additional information. And if the kids don't know, understand that lingo, understand how to do that. Sometimes kids don't get through because of that. 
And then uh, I think obviously cultural. So when you're used to going to a high school where it's predominantly people of color and then you land on a predominantly white institution in a whole new space and the cultural norms have shifted and it's a whole nother unwritten ball game that you're not aware of. That's a whole other barrier that a lot of our kids face when they're trying to navigate through college. Um, and so I think we do have a lot of kids going to college um, from the city of Detroit. I think a lot of our efforts should, you know, definitely focus on increasing the number of kids that are going. But really, it's how do we help our kids get through? How do we help our kids actually come back with a degree, especially a degree with no debt? Um, and that's a whole we can talk about debt, too, um, as well. But how do we not only help our kids land on the right college campus to set up to really help people that look like them graduate? Right. Um, but also, how do we um, make sure that they get that college degree with very, very little debt? So they're actually starting out in a space where they can actually build generational wealth and not start in a place where they're taking on a whole lot of debt and having to pay that off. If I may uh, jump in here and I appreciate what both my uh, colleagues have already said. And so I don't want to really repeat those things. Those are right on point. I'm just, I was just sitting here with you all and saying, okay, they've taken uh, everything that needs to be said. However, if I may, um, in terms of what my last colleague just said, uh, the work that I do in terms of my particular group, the Black Male and Queens Focus Group, is exactly what my last colleague was talking about, is trying to figure out ways to navigate the system. Uh, that's been our challenge, you know, for us as a people collectively in terms of higher education from the beginning. How are we going to navigate a system and navigate a space that we were never supposed to be included in? And then once we were included, we still were not supposed to be equally included. And so absolutely, there are going to be those those meaningful barriers that are there. So what my group does is we try to make sure that we're going to be able to navigate those barriers and we work from an asset based model. So wh whatever the student is coming in with, we figure out what you have, or whatever you have, I'm going to turn that into an asset. Okay. And so if you say, uh, I don't write, write well, I don't speak well. However, you are a rapper. Well, that tells you that you write well and you speak and you speak well. What can we do to essentially to get you to uh, instead of uh, while you're writing your lyrics, also work on writing some marks or writing some Du Bois or something of this of uh, this nature? You tell me that you don't count count well. However, you tell me that you want to get you want to get paid and you already have figured out how much you want to earn a year and how and how what you're going to earn a year and how you're going to get a Mercedes Benz predicate on what you are going to earn a year. That tells you that you do have some type of math of math skills. I just have to figure out how I can essentially translate that into algebra for you. And so what my group essentially is doing is working to navigate, in some cases, dismantle those particular barriers. So um, as the sister just said, in terms of this whole notion of spaces not being there for the students, I try to be the person to take those slings and arrows for those students. So whatever challenges that they're having, you know, one of the things I always tell my my students, when you run into these problems, before you get frust frustrated, in fact, I'll just be honest with, with y'all, I say before you go off, okay, and we, we know things get frustrating on these campuses, particularly when you know that these other five students ahead of you got whatever service they were supposed to essentially get, and you come and ask the same question, and all of a sudden folks are looking at you funny. I say before you go off, come get me, and, I, and, and when I say come get me, I tell, listen, if I'm in the classroom, 
And you, before you go off, I would rather you come and pull me out of class, out of the classroom. I can put, I can put something up on the board and come and deal with this thing. Before you go off, let me take care of this thing because there's a whole different, there's a whole different narrative than you going off as a student versus me going off as a faculty member. Meaning that I'm going to make sure that when I go off, I'm going off to the right people. And let's be honest, I want to, I want to socialize them to go off in the right way as, as well. So one of the other things that we do, for for example, uh, a big issue, as uh, again, I'm going to repeat what the sister just said, finances. And one of the things I always look at, and no one wants to talk wants to talk about this um, in terms of many college campuses, is the notion of food insecurity. If I'm hungry, no, I'm sorry. I could care less about what Karl Marx said. I could care less about what Shakespeare said. I could care less about what W.E.B. Du Bois said. So one of the things that I did within, that we do within our particular group, we actually have a food pantry and clothing pantry right in my office space. And it's important for these things to be in the space that is our space, meaning the Black Mill and Queens Focus Group space, because we know that in some cases, for, for example, we have a food pantry on our campus overall. However, nobody ever talks about the stigma that is associated with me, right on? And so the notion that I that I need something, the notion that I don't have food, I don't want everybody to know that. So it's much easier for someone to say, hey, I'm going to go out and hang out with Dr. Har Dr. Harvell, I'm going to go over to see Harville, you don't have to tell folks what you're coming over there, over there for. But when you come to Harville's office, you know you can get food, you can get gloves, you can get. We even had children's children's clothing within my particular space. Um, as sister was talking about the notion of filling out a FAFSA, we have. Well, I, and notice I keep on saying we because I normally say I. But I want to make sure I include my colleagues. We have personally contacted. Every school in the state of Michigan, okay, every single college in the state of Michigan have personally contacted these folks. We have their complete application packets in our office. We have FAFSA information in our office. If you come to the office, not only can you get this stuff, I sit down and work with you. See, one of the things that we don't talk, talk about as well in terms of access is this notion of computers. I have students who all the time, well, I don't have a computer at home or I had a computer, then I had some financial challenges and now my internet is been cut off. That's fine. I have requested, and we got this from the camp, from the school, we have computers in my office space as well to make sure that folks can navigate this thing. So literally, you can come to my office, and I will sit down with you, and I have filled out a couple of FAFSAs. I will sit down with you, fill out your fill out your FAFSA, help you send those things, help you send those things in, and whatever I can't do, of course, we have counselors that work right with my particular group as well. If you need to go to a college, this is extremely, extremely important. We have all of those package in the office. You can sit down with me. A lot of times people assume, well, it's all online. That's cute if you have access, okay? But for some folks, this is going to be their first time even leaving away from home. So I'm able to sit down with the students, go through the college process with them in terms of the application. And one of the other things that my group does, we actually take students on college tours, okay? Because one of the things I think that ultimately happens, particularly in terms of our students, is if this is my first time leaving away from home, I just think, oh, well, I'm just going off to college. No, you need to find a college that's going to fit you. There are some colleges that are going to be fine and they're going to have those services. Some colleges, I'm sorry, there are going to be some schools where you may need to have some one-on-one -on -one attention and you walk into that very first class and there's 500 people in that lecture hall. I prepared to navigate that space. And so we're talking to the students to make sure that instead of going to the biggest college, that you can find some other college that's going to be a better fit. If you like cold weather, well, maybe you don't want to go to Florida. If you want some warm weather, maybe you want to leave Michigan. These are the types of things that I'm constantly talking about with these students. And like I say, we actually take students on college visitations. And one of the most important things, we always have people tell me, they say, Say, well, so you're telling me that you're in contact with the counselors at the colleges? Yes, I'm constantly in contact with the admissions officers. And they say to me, well, 
How do you know that the students are going when you set these meetings up? I know the students are going because Reddy, this is a, this is a part of what my group does and what we've done collectively as a people. Kujijagali, a self-determination. If we don't do it, it's not going to get done. How do I know that the students go? Because I drive the bus too. So yes, I teach sociology. Uh, I'm going to make sure you have food. I'll go get you some gloves. And yes, I'm the bus driver too. I'm going to make sure that you get there. Now, of course, I'll say this. Y'all see the gray in my beard. Some of the time the students get a little frustrated with me because on on uh, 75 and on 94 and 96, the speed limit is 70. Y'all see this gray. I'm doing about 68, so they get a little mad at me, okay? But the one thing is, we're going to always get there and get back safe. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, listening to, um, you know, um, you guys talking about the finances, the preparedness, the cultural um, um uh, roadblocks maybe that uh, students uh, may cause students not to uh, complete college or um, leave college for, for those various reasons. Um, Dr. Harvell talked about, you know, just the different ways he kind of try to run interference with that and, and prop up our students. Um, so I'm wondering, like, would I don't know, that's, that's at Henry Ford. Like, are there anything, uh, any um, solutions like that or any resources that students have from you know you guys' organization or that you guys know that are in place on other college campuses that can assist them with their uh, matriculation through uh, college? Yeah, I think Chris and I can tag team on this one. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so the quality though, you know, yeah. I, I think most colleges would say, yes, we have a multicultural center. And like I said on a, a previous thing, if you have a multicultural center, somebody has to go to a specific place to feel belonging and um, like they're supposed to be there, then you don't have an inclusive environment on the entire campus. Right. So a lot of colleges will point, point you to like, oh, we have a multicultural center or something like that. And there are typically there people who are there who really do care and want to wrap their arms around you and support you get, getting through. Um, and, and a lot of times that's also where your trio services are. So these are like traditional uh, cross campus services. But then you have programs like what Dr. Harvell talked about, which is really holistically. How do I and a lot of those try to do this as well. I don't think they tackle food insecurity and I don't think they tackle like, let me take you on a college tour. Yeah. They might do tutoring, writing. They'll have a lot of conversations about what it means to be a black student in this new predominantly white space. Um they will set you up with extra advisors to make sure, again, you have somebody go to go to before you go off. They can help you navigate the system. Um, but just because you have one doesn't mean it's successful. Um, and so everybody has one. It's the national model to have, you know, these types of programs, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're successful. So one of the things I know for us at DCAN that we look at and that we try to help our students understand is you're making like two, three hundred thousand dollar decision. This is a big decision. It's bigger than which pair of Jordans you're going to buy or bigger than which PlayStation version you're going to get or which cell phone you're going to get. And it, and we know that when they're looking at those things, you're looking at reviews, you're looking at what everybody else is doing. You're like doing some form of research. And so um, I think, you know, historically, the process of getting into college has been just so, uh, so hard that sometimes we just accept, oh, they want me, I'm going kind of a thing. But really, we need to be smarter consumers, right? We need to be looking at things like, okay, do they have programs like something that Dr. Harville 
is talking about a, a holistic program, a place where I can feel belonging, right? Where there's multiple people who look like me who are trying to get through the scene together. And somebody I can go talk to about everything, not just my writing and my math, but everything, me as a holistic being. Um, I think that is important. And um, I think the other thing is, is understanding, you know, one of the things that we look at at DCAN is uh, we do like talk about the different success programs that exist at institutions. And I'll spill out a couple of them in a moment. But we also look at what is the African-American graduation rate at this institution? What is the Pell Grant graduation rate at this institution? Is this institution from a holistic institution space set up? Has it historically helped people that look like me and come from places I come from graduate over and over again? Or has it historically failed people and, 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 and they didn't graduate? So this is one of the things that we try to educate people on is that you need to know, you need to be making a high quality decision. Not only like the look, feel, and how you felt when you landed on that campus, but what does the data say? Um, are people that come from Detroit graduating? We even have that number. Like my college in the state of Michigan, we know what percentage of our kids from Detroit are going to certain institutions and how they're doing at that institution um, coming out of Detroit high schools. So I would say that's, that's one. I do think that there are more colleges doing what Dr. Harvell is doing, where they're trying to take a holistic perspective um, and really trying to put the students in some type of cohort-based model um, beyond the multicultural center or even a trio program. So one example is Michigan State has a, a program called Detroit Made, and it is a uh, neighborhood. They live in the same dorms. They, get, they, they do uh, study abroad programs together. They're recruiting in the senior year, uh, senior spring of high school, and they matriculate all in together. They go onto campus earlier, and it's specifically for Detroit students. And uh, many of the other, not all of them, but a lot of the other colleges have a similar model, um, something like that, where they're trying to identify. And it may not be specifically for Detroit, but it might be for, um, you know, urban students or students of color in general. So, yeah, I, I think the question is, is every college is going to be able to tell to you what they got. But the question is, are, is it successful? Are people completing from that college? Because just because you got it doesn't necessarily mean that, A, students are having a great experience with it and B, that kids are actually completing. And so yeah. I think the, the simple answer is, yeah, but what's the quality of what you're providing? Yeah, and I, and I would echo that. Uh, I was, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, every community college, I think, has a student success center. Uh, but, you know, it, it's also how do we prepare our students to know to access that space when they get to campus, right? And what does it mean to walk in that space? Uh, when you take uh, uh, Dr. Harvell and what he's doing, it is total holistic, right? From the spirit all the way to putting gloves on your and your hands, right? And 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 that becomes a deeper level of engagement, and it also requires a deeper level of investment on the part of the university. And so, while a lot of universities are, I think, are beginning to recognize, especially here in the state of Michigan, uh, we've seen efforts like this in other places. And Michigan is, I think, still getting to that place. Uh, it also requires a certain level of investment to provide that holistic engagement, because it's not enough just to talk. To these students about what they have to do. Uh, when you talk about a Dr. Harville, he's literally walking with them through the process, right? He's walking with them through their life circumstances. He's walking with them through their personal circumstances, at, at, uh, whether they be from home or at the university. Uh, he's walking with them through their needs. And that's a deeper level of investment. And, and we have to make sure that as we are evaluating these programs, you know, even as, as yourself, quantum counselor and other higher ed and college access people, when you're talking to students about, you know, where they should go and why and looking at what these programs offer, 
you know, we have to make sure that there are people in that space to receive them. Um, and it may not always be an official person. And so we can talk about, you know, what it might take as a community wide effort yeah. uh, moving forward, but definitely uh, making sure that, uh, as, as Ashley stated, that we are looking at, you know, what is the quality of those programs? Who are those people? How are they set up? What exactly do they provide? And then remembering too, you know, I was a, um, a Project 350 at Wayne State student, a TRIO program. I think now it's called Apex Scholars. Uh, and, you know, I didn't, when I got on campus, I didn't want to go talk to those people, right? I felt like, hey, I'm smart. I can do this. They let me in, right? Why do I have to keep going to see this counselor knowing I needed support? Um, but I didn't want to talk to those people, right? I wanted to feel like all the rest, you know, everyone else on college. I wanted to feel like, I made it. I got it here. I can tackle this problem. I don't need help. I don't want to feel like either it's a charity case. I want to I want to walk on that campus and feel like what I think other students are experiencing in that space. So there's, I think it's a two pronged approach of how we have to address it, looking at the quality and then making sure our students going forward, going to those institutions, uh, you know, know how to uh, how to access them and what language they have to use to get what they need from those spaces is is also Dr. Arbil uh, expounded on. Yeah, and, and you know, um, we talked a lot about self-determination where, you know, the community stepping in. I mean, what opportunities are there for, you know, the community to step in to um, relieve some of those uh, issues, whether it's like, say, the finances, the cultural um, piece or um, um, the preparedness, uh, retention. So what opportunities are there for a community to step in? And then also, like, what are, I mean, and Dr. Harvell, I mean, have you ever worked with the high schools? Like, are our high schools involved in wraparound services where they follow their, you know, their graduates on into college, you know, where that that relationship, whether it's with the counselor or, or teachers, that is something that's, that's uh, you know, that's established and goes, you know, throughout you know, the, the high school, I mean, the college um, experience. And, you know, have you had that opportunity to work with, you know, uh, school high schools as well? Excellent question, brother. I want to just, uh, powerful questions. And let me just say, uh, when you were asking the question about uh, do other schools have programs like the focus group, I want to just say this, that um, my students know this. When you become a part of the Black Bell of Queens focus group, you're a part of the group forever. And so when I say this, what this means is that I follow my students no matter where they essentially go. And so if you go off to whatever school you're going off to, I'm still here to help you. Uh, right now, I'm working with the young with the young man who was in a one of my cohorts from 2000. 15, uh, he and I looking at his uh, doctoral programs. I just finished writing some letters of recommendation for him. Another uh, young sis was in the 2016 cohort, and we're working to get her into uh, a master's program right now. And so you're, good, so you're with us. Once you come to Henry Ford, I'm going to bother you for the rest of your life, basically, okay? But again, trying to make sure I'm getting you to the, next, to the next space. But now when you ask me the question about the high schools, yes, what we do at Henry Ford, and again, this is about having the administration, of course, buy in as well. Uh, the president of the school, the vice presidents of the school have completely bought in to what the Black Bell and Queens Focus Group is doing. So what they have done is uh, we have set aside time. we actually go out and visit high school. So um, there are times where I may not be on campus every single day, but you can catch me at various schools throughout this particular um, city. I go out, I give talks at high schools, uh, their college um, 
college recruitment nights, et cetera. In fact, one of the uh, high school counselors uh, had told me that when they go and visit schools, a lot of a lot of times that they don't see faces that look like ours. I said, great. That's a great idea. So now when uh, students come to Henry Ford to visit, I try to meet their bus. And then I try to actually go on the tour and take the tour with the students. And what I also do is make sure that I connect them with my focus group students. So that, And we actually so now what we've done is we've actually set aside time so they can have lunch with my focus group students. You know, there's one thing for them to hear from me about what the school does and what the group does. But it's even better when they can hear from people who are right in their own age group. So, you know, these, these, young, these young people, 16, 17 years old, focus group students, 18, 19, 20, 20, 30, 40, et cetera. But so we are and I'm constantly connected with these high schools. Um, we have done some things where I've done uh, taught some classes, for example, in some high schools in terms of our dual, dual en enrollment programs. I've uh, worked and did some things where we went in and actually talked with it. And I appreciate this other this earlier question about access in terms of the community where I've actually went in to do some parent sessions. I think that becomes extremely important um, where, you know, parents have these wonderful questions. And of course, once and this is always what's interesting, what's very powerful. Powerful legally, right? Once the child comes to Henry Ford, I can't talk to the parents any longer about that particular child. And so it's this heavy piece where my child was in school in June and I could go and talk with them. Two months later, all of a sudden, like some great epiphany showed up, and every and and my child now knows every single thing. And so the parents have been very, very uh responsive and very, very grateful that we come to these high schools, we come to various to various other community centers and actually talk with them and deal with them. And so working, so what we do a, we do a great deal of work within the community. Also, brother, many of our activities that we have through the Black Mill and Queens Focus Group, we have a number, number of enrichment activities every single year for for example. We have something called celebration of the black of the black woman queens dinner. The community is invited. Folks get an opportunity to actually come out and see the types of things that we're doing on campus, and also be able to connect with me and other faculty members. The, the vice president is he. The vice president has not missed any of our activities over the last I can't tell you how many how many years. So literally, you can you can sit down and build with him and several of the other faculty and things of this nature on campus. You'll find that the honors director is always is always there. The director of the learning lab. Is all is always there. Um, we have our own graduation. We talked about that notion of cultural competence, right? So this is not saying that the students don't go to the so-called traditional graduation, but we have an African-centered graduation that speaks to our culture. Once again, the community is invited. People are able to connect and build with us. We have various types of, uh, for example, we just finished our Black History Month program. This year, of course, it was virtual, but in the past, it's been right there on campus. The community is invited, and we are constantly opening up our space for people to come build with us, get information uh, from us, and of course, continue the process of being able to educate both the student and the parents, and making the parents feel comfortable about, because I, I want your kids to come to Henry, to Henry Ford, making the parents feel comfortable about the fact that they're sending their children off to our school. And I'm a parent myself. And so I know that's the most important thing in all of our lives. And I try to make sure that those parents understand that when they, when your kids come to my to Henry, to Henry Ford, I'm going to treat them as a member of my extended family. That's one of the things we always talk about with the focus group is that we are is that we are family. So yes, brother, I'm going to these schools all of the time. We take the kids off to uh, other schools. And then even after you graduated from Henry Ford, no matter where you have gone, I'm still in contact with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, everything he's saying is, is spot on. We need more people like him reaching back, especially people who are walk, who are helping kids currently every day get through the system, because then they can better prepare the next group of kids and families that are coming in. 
Um, but I would say, you know, some colleges do that. And a lot of colleges do it through, again, trio programs like Gear Up or Upward Bound. But when you're talking about 5,000 seniors, I mean, these programs may be reaching 100 kids in two or three high schools. So it's not necessarily a citywide opportunity. Um, I actually think um, I love that colleges are reaching back. But I think Detroit, we need to build our own. We need to build our own program that starts in, you know, I don't know, whatever grade we decide. It could be as early as seventh grade. It could be as late as probably 10th grade that really focuses on the holistic development of our students. Um, I think there's two things. Sometimes I, I really, you know, I struggle with this whole concept of making kids college ready when really the colleges need to become student ready. It's really the systems that need to shift and change. But as we wait on these systems to shift and change and get better, we do have to help our kids become a little bit more college ready for sure. And so I'm going to argue that that can't be done over a senior year when somebody begins to talk to you. That's like a multi-year type process, one, and to help you really holistically develop and figure out like what you can get out of this institution. So my background and my history is that I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And from day one, uh, my family told me they could not afford for me to go to college. And the only people they knew where I'm from, I'm from a rural town in, in, in Tennessee. The only people that we knew that had a college degree were former athletes. So my family pushed me to be an athlete um, and I got a division one scholarship uh, to an institution. But I knew that when I landed on that institution, my family told me that was my vehicle. Right. They're going to probably use me in a lot of ways. Right. As a student athlete, hey, and that's a whole nother podcast. We can have a conversation about that later. Um, but also as, you know, just like a student on the campus. But my job is to walk away with that degree in hand, right? Like go and get the degree. That's what you need. No matter by all me, any means necessary, you need to make sure that you're walk away, walking away from that experience with something that's going to be valuable throughout your entire life, right? And so I think that's something that would take multiple um multiple years to help students really develop and to help kids. Like, I think the other thing is, is a lot of kids want to be doctors, lawyers, and, you know, CSI folk, um, cause they see it on TV. Right. And they really don't know what, who they are, what they have naturally to contribute and how that would intersect with like a picking a major. Right. Um, and I believe that I'm, I personally believe that you should just do whatever you're passionate about and the money will come. But a lot of times we don't push our kids to think in that way. Right. They're thinking about these certain majors. I, again, I think this takes multiple times. So I actually think that as a city of Detroit and one of the things I've been talking to Chris about is like, how do we build our own program? How do we create our own program that um, starts in high school and it really focuses on going deep with students over the course of multiple summers? Some of those summers are with us. Some of those summers might be out and about on a college campus. Some of those summers might be in an internship opportunity. But how do we make sure that they're well prepared when they land on that college campus to take advantage of everything that's available to them so they can walk away with not only that degree, but the right social networks to really become who it is they want to become and contribute to the world the way that they want to contribute to the world? And then how do we create the kind of program that doesn't stop when they land on the campus? Like he's saying, he's with these people probably all the way till they have babies. I'm sure some of them are calling him like, I'm finally married and I'm about to have a child. And, you know, uh, I think that's the kind of program that we need to create for the for the city, that no matter where they go across the world, uh, they're still they, they have the city. The city has their back and it's going to support them with getting through. And that's something that does not exist in, in Detroit currently. Um, it does exist on small scales. There are some programs that do that, but not a lot of these programs start early. Right. So some of them start in the senior year, but not very many of them actually start in ninth, 10th and 11th grade. 
uh, and really help students holistically develop and figure out who they are and what they want to contribute to society and how having a college degree might help with that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the natural way to get something like that started is, is with the relationships that already exist. I mean, I mean, I know um, uh, teachers and uh, educators who kind of do that sort of thing naturally, you know, where uh, the students, they might have had them since they were in ninth grade. And when they graduate, they're sending them care packages. They're traveling <laughs> uh, to the school to check up on them. They um, put them in contact with other people at the school, you know. And so it's like that's something that's done like on the, in the natural sense, you know, which is those natural connections. I think that, you know, and saying how can you get started? I think that's one of the ways you can get started by just utilizing those natural relationships, bringing educators on board, uh, bringing the the the. Um, the, the church community or um, the, the community in general aboard where it's like, hey, listen, you know, these are our students, you know, this is what's needed. And then really allowing, you know, us to step up and kind of do something about it. But like you said, I've seen it happen at, you know, again with the individual, <laughs> individual people. But, you know, I'm interested too, like how can something that be, something like that be brought to scale? Would, would you say we have about 5,000 students a year? Yeah. And you can start out small and eventually, you know, you want to get to how many ever you want to get to. But the other thing is, I think we also have the pieces in place. So the, a part of it is there's this whole thing called Detroit Promise that's free tuition and fees um, for any four year institution in the state of Michigan. If you have a 3.0. So how do we get more kids to take access, take advantage of that? If they're not finding out about it until they're a senior and they're not really being prepared to take advantage of that starting earlier on and making better decisions about going to class, better decisions about the classes they're taking. I do think, I said all that to say, I think we have some key components, right? And then we have people like Dr. Harvell. We could even develop a list of like, these are the colleges we recommend. And these are the, the programs we recommend you go into if you go to these colleges, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and so we can start to be really selective about where our kids go as well. So we can get them better prepared. Almost like home a, free almost like a green, green yeah. book college, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, that, that, that is real. You know, in my work at uh, Michigan College Access Network, you know, my work is statewide. And so um, there was uh, the head of the uh, Native and Indigenous Culture Commission. I think that's the name of it. It's probably not. Uh, but it's the state program that uh, is responsible for uh, uh, make, providing, making sure that, you know, uh, access is provided to uh, Native cultures, uh, communities rather within the state. And uh, and so they came to me and said, you know, on one of our uh, on our impact map, which is one of the tools to, to track attainment rates in the state, and as well as other me- uh, measurements, how can they include native friendly schools? Right. And I'm just like, duh, you know, and it's like that is such a good point. How do we do that for because it started obviously started thinking about all you know students of color. Native friendly schools, Latinx friendly schools, you know, who holds that information? Where does that information come from? And we can certainly look at those different things, but it was such a simple thing that they wanted to do for Native students um, just to so that they can say this is a place where you're going to have the most chance of success. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so they're sitting down with uh, some of the Native factory, uh, fa- I'm sorry, excuse me, faculty at Michigan State, as well as other uh, college access, Native college access providers around the state. And they're figuring out how to at least create some type of database that can be used for Native students to go to to, to go to those schools, uh, you know, 
where they know they'll be welcomed, right? Where the, there's more of a support system for them. And so it's not a far-fetched idea to really start looking at, at uh, you know, our colleges around the state, you know, from that lens. Um, you know, at the end of the day for colleges and universities, it does become a, a money's game. So, you know, if you want to recruit our students, if you need our students on the, on the campus, then show us, you know, that you will take care of our students, you know, from day one through graduation. But it does require, you know, I, I think to Ashley's point, you know, it, it's going to have to be what do we do on our end as well, right? We, as we push the shift uh, to the institutions as well, because they do need to shift. But we know systems shift all the time. They'll shift for us and then they'll gradually shift away from us. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be ready on our end as, as we're preparing our scholars to go to these institutions to be you know, prepared for the, in the future for the next shift that takes place. But it's not far-fetched to say, you know, what are you doing for us? You know, looking at colleges and saying, what are you doing for us? And evaluate them on, uh, from that space. If, if I may, I wanted to uh, just jump in where you mentioned the notion of Detroit Promise. Henry Ford College um, has the a lot, a highest number of Detroit Promise students in terms of two-year schools. And so I will make sure that just, just mention that, that we do have a Detroit Promise program and the, uh, the uh, student success counselors are magnificent. They work with the focus, with the focus group. We work with them. And so it's, again, it's this interconnection. So in many cases, many of their students are going off to these colleges and visiting things with us and whatever activities we are doing. But I wanted to make sure that we, uh, that I mentioned this in terms of having this structure in, in place and knowing that there are these things that are all, that are already happening. So in 2019, we had uh, at Henry Ford College, a Black Male Retention and Success Conference. And our final session was actually a moving forward session. And one of the goals was to put together a type of statewide organization in a sense, right on, that we would be able to be able to connect with each other. So mm-hmm. as if I have a student that's going to the University of X, whatever that school that school is, I want to know that I got some brothers and sisters that are at that school that I can just pick the phone up and say, listen, I got some students that's coming here. This is their first time away from home. Can you look out for them? And so we are putting something like that together. We know what happened last year. So of course, obviously, you know, things have been running a little bit slow. However, this year we are having again our retention conference and it's going to be our April 14th through the 6th through the 16th. And Detroit Promise is actually going to be doing a special plenary session on uh-oh, April 14th at three o'clock. They're going to be given a full session. And this is a virtual conference. And so one of the things that we're asking is, yes, parents, come out, check out what's happening. Detroit Promise at Henry Ford. And we have several, of course, we have several other uh, sessions that are going to be happening. Uh, Dr. Ted Ransaw, again, this is one of the c- connections that we have in terms of Michigan State university he's going to be our keynote our keynote speaker and so we have all of these things that are somewhat happening and i try to make sure that i use this conference to create access in terms of networking as i've uh, said at, at our last conference we had several students from henry from henry ford we had a um, we keep we had a number of uh, colleges and universities on campus to recruit students. Several students from my school didn't even had didn't hadn't even had any of these schools on their radar. They found out about the schools at the conference. The schools are offering money. They at those schools now, and they're being successful. This year, we're actually going to be having a black college tour where black colleges are going to be giving. Uh, they're going to have some virtual space, and they're going to be presenting their information. Again, we are trying to have a comprehensive. I mean, I'm. I try to do everything within this particular, this, these two days, I'm trying to give you every single thing that you need 
I'm talking about if you in the first grade to prepare you for coming to college, to get you thinking about college, eighth grade to get you prepared to go to high school, high school, start thinking about coming to Henry Ford first, and then, of course, getting you off into the four-year school. And as all my students know, once you get off to the four-year school, the next goal, of course, is to get to the master's. And then, of course, I'm expecting doctors out of everybody. And so, again, we do have some of these things that are somewhat coming into existence. And I want to just make sure I pointed this out as well, uh, as the sister was saying about what can we do in terms of building these structures. Currently, we are working to put together a Black Studies program at Henry Ford. Okay, And when I say we're currently working, you look at the person who is who is who is responsible for building this particular program? And this program is going is going to be the it's going to be the baddest Black Studies program in the entire country. Okay, but it's going to be comprehensive. So one of the things that we're doing is I want have a summer bridge program. All of the literature talks about the need and the importance of this. But I want to take that bridge program in terms of the summer and make it actually an entire year type program where throughout the year students are coming to campuses or we as faculty are going to their schools to talk to them about various things in terms of preparing them for school. And so one of my arguments is the same as what Sister was saying, we can't just wait till the senior year. We need to be going to these schools in the seventh grade. Hey, we may need to go in the fifth grade or in the fourth or in the fourth grade. I never forget one of the coolest things that uh, um one of the coolest statements that a young person made to me, I think they were in the fourth grade. I was visiting my, uh, when she was, my daughter was in the fourth, in, in the fourth grade. And there was a young, uh, young black uh, a boy in the class. He was one of the few young black boys in the classroom. And so, you know, he connected with me in a sense. Right. And I, and I it, it really, it was heavy to me. Right. He says, so you're a doctor and you're a doctor that, that, that don't hurt, don't hurt people. I said, what do you, what, what do you mean? He said, you don't give shots. I said, I said, no, I'm not that kind of doctor. So then he says to me, you know what, Dr. H, and you are so cool. I think I want to be a doctor when I grow up, too, as long as I don't have to hurt people. <laughs> so, it's, it's, so, again, that's the notion of access, right? So in this young man's mind, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong, of course, with being an MD. I want to make sure I say that, okay? But in this young man's mind, the only kind of doctors are the ones that actually hurt, hurt people by giving them shots. So going back to what Sister said, you know, many of our students, we do think, you know, doctor, lawyer. Uh, engineer, which are great, which are great jobs, great, fabulous jobs. But in many cases, we don't even have, they don't, they don't even know or don't even have access to other things. I had not, look, I didn't know what sociology was. I, the notion of being a sociology professor was, what are you talking, what are you talking about? I fell in love with sociology, but this was by the time I got to college, right on. But what would have happened if I had not have taken that class by accident and fell in love you know, and found this particular thing? And I'm talking about, I love teaching sociology, love my job to this, to this particular day. And so as the sister said, you know, the money will come and, and, and what are students, you know, again, money's great. We got to pay our bills, but also having the passion to love your particular job, to love your particular job. I remember once I was at a party and everybody was talking about if they won the, the whatever, the half million dollar, I'm sorry, the, the billion dollar lottery, what would, they, what would they do? And everybody's job thing was, I'm quitting my job. So my question was, what day is it? He said, what day, what do you mean, what day? I said, well, if I win on Monday night, I got to be in class at, at nine at nine forty on Tuesday. They said you're going to still go to work. Absolutely, I love my job. Now there may be some differences. The Black Mill and Queens Focus Group, we'd have our own separate building. We'd have our own separate bus, right? All right. In fact, we probably have ourselves a jet so we can fly back and forth to the conferences and things that we go to. So my group would be, but I would still come to work every single day. Thank you. I didn't mean to go so go so far, but again, 
This retention conference is a monster. We're doing everything there. You'll be able to connect with whoever you want. Entrepreneurs, we got authors, we got everything, right? Brother brother Rutherford, brother Nellis are going to be there building with us. So again, thank you all so much. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love the idea of having a database um, of people and resources on college campuses uh, to promote student success. And, you know, I think that's, that's definitely will be an important resource once that's once that's completed. Um, I wanted to kind of ask you guys, uh, what do you, you know, a lot of the conversation deals with, um, I know, in the community about college. And first of all, is it, if it's relevant and if it's an immediate concern. I mean, we hear I mean, what, what would you guys say for people who say that, you know, well, you know, college isn't immediate is not an immediate concern. You know, get a trade, maybe work, invest some money, and then go to college later if you want. You won't have to be in debt. You can pay for it yourself with the money you've earned from you know the trade or from investment, working in investing. What would you say to the people who have that mindset? We're we're talking about skilled trade as well. When we define college, we're talking about a post secondary credential. Uh, and 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 uh, most of our community colleges offers uh, trade programs, um, and uh, and so we're talking about uh, we're talking about both. Uh, the challenge is making sure our students are prepared for that post secondary credential. I know we talked a lot about uh, the traditional college four years, uh, four year universities, two year universities, but we're also talking about making sure our students are prepared for skilled trades, because that's a whole nother uh, access point that, uh, that, that that we still have to catch up in, right? Our counselors have to catch up in the language, the qualifications. Uh, if a student is not doing well in, in math or reading, we don't say, oh, you need to go to a trade, because the trades require the same level of math and reading as the universities do. And so that's a whole nother level of education. And so when we talk about uh, post-secondary credentials, and college, we do mean skilled trades as well. Uh, and so that's any type of training that you have to get uh, after high school. And, and that that was, you know, when I started my point was my key thing is like, this is training after high school and our students have to be prepared for the, the myriad of things that they can pursue. They have to understand what they are and then they have to be prepared for accessing those. And, and in all those areas, you know, there's still, there's still a big challenge. Yeah, I would echo everything he said. So I think, you know, we use college shortly, but what we mean is post-secondary. I think the point is, is that you have to do learning beyond high school. So even if you're going to be an investor, you got to know what to invest in. You got to know what platform, how you're going to invest um, short term, long term, even if it's something as simple as, you know, there's a lot of folks that are doing Forex training and there's a lot of folks that are doing long term investments. Either one of those is education beyond high school. Right. You got to know how to invest. You want to start a business. Again, education beyond high school. You got to know how to write a business plan. You got to know how to get, um, making sure that you get some investments up front. You got to know how to hold yourself accountable and the business accountable to know if you're on track or not, right? And so th these may not, you can go to community college for pretty much all of these probably that I just named. They probably have a course or two that can help you get there. But yeah. I do recognize that a lot of folks are also providing this type of training outside of traditional like community college or two-year college in community-based spaces as well, right? So you might join a group of friends who are investing, or you might um, do a boot camp on starting your business, an eight-week boot camp on starting your business in a pitch competition. At the end of the day, again, education beyond high school. So I think the, 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 the point here is that you need to be a lifelong learner. 
Um, and you need to be making sure that you're educated beyond high school. Right. And I think that's the, the key point. And so I think right now we really do define it kind of in in buckets of like skill trade, two year and four year. And then but, you know, when you leave that entrepreneurship program, you're going to get a certificate. Now, the accreditation of the certificate and how it's valued within the market. That's why a lot of folks really a lot of people like us really lean in on things like making sure that it's accredited, because if you're going to a two year or four year or a skilled trade program that's accredited, we know it's accredited and you're not getting ripped off. Right. Um, but in the, the day, I think the overarching thing here is education beyond high school. Now, the world is changing. It is. Right. So people are doing college from cell phones. Right. People are getting MBAs. I saw a commercial the other day for an MBA on your cell phone, not going to actual class. People are doing boot camps right around like coding and creating websites. People are side hustling, using their natural skill sets to do all those types of things. So I think things are going to change over time. I think the way that we probably define college and post-secondary might get broader over time as long as it is an accepted credential that everybody values. And it's going to be something that's going to have you not struggling every day and doing something you love. That's really what we want to see kids really get it, get into. But everything that you just named, Quan, to me is, is, is post-secondary. It's yeah. education beyond high school. And that's the main thing that we have to help our, all of us understand is that you have to be a constant learner. You have to be a lifelong learner. You have to be always trying to acquire new skill sets. Um, and if you don't want to do, and, you know, I think from a generational perspective, if you think about like how generations have changed over time, I think it's kind of trajectory in the same way as like um, what it, college will project in the same way, but also like what it means to be successful will project in the same way. Right. A generation or two ago, you got one job, you stayed there for 30 years, you retired, you got your pension. Right. Then there was another generation who's like, well, I'm not staying there that long. I'm going to flip and hop and, and do this. Right. And then you had the millennials that came in and they said, I ain't staying for three years and I'm moving on to something else. Now you got the younger generation and a lot of millennials as myself, where you're like, you got a day job, but you got two or three side hustles, right? Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, every one of those side hustles that you tried to start for yourself, you had some education beyond high school to learn how to start that side hustle. You had to learn how to <laughs> how to market yourself on Instagram, even if you took an Instagram class on how to do that. So my point is, is that no matter what you're doing to acquire money, more than likely, if you're using your, your brain and your mind, you're going to need education beyond high school and you're going to need to be a lifelong learner. Now, how college evolves and how we define it over time, I think that will con 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 continue to change. But at the end of the day, you're going to need some education beyond high school. So, Indeed, I have to um, agree with you all. And I want to just uh, make sure I say this because I think uh, our community, someone played an interesting, what I call a trick on us by trying to um, always put one of us against the other. And you all know where I'm going with this. The historic argument that there was somehow this great fight between W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. And That's I think right. that in many cases, folks have, and uh, Dr. Clark talks about this, we have misread what Washington was doing. Let's just be honest. People have painted him in a negative way. And if mm -hmm. you look at his public persona versus what he was doing in a very subversive manner, right? Folks, you know, folks want to uh, act like, you know, Washington was living in 2020, 21 and could do and say certain things uh, in 2021 20, and forget what time period 
period this man was living in. And so, and in fact, quick side note, and what he was doing back then was more radical than what many of us are doing in 2021. So I'll make sure I put that pic that out there too, because folks are always dogging this, dogging this brother, calling the brother sellout and things. I'm saying, well, hold on. What I'm hold seeing y'all do, yeah, right on. I'm saying, hold on. The stuff I'm seeing y'all do still is not as radical as what this brother's doing. So I think when people are trying to put this, there's a fight. Either you have to be with Washington or with Du Bois, uh, and then of course, somehow everybody, we have to be with Du Bois. Well, no, 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 no. Everybody is needed, as you all are saying, right? In historic, we all knew this. Kuji Javalia's self-determination. We knew that there were no superheroes going to save us except for the superheroes in our own community. And so we needed folks who were going to be able to do the technical jobs. We needed folks that were going to be able to do the ag the agricultural jobs. Because at the end of the day, and yes, I, of course, you know, in terms of, you know, liberal arts, right? And it's cute. It's cute. You ask me questions, you say, explain Marxist dialectics. That's cute. But when, but but ready, I can't feed myself. Right on? Uh, whenever something breaks down at this house, I got to call somebody. And all I know is I have to write a huge check. There's some serious <laughs> money when we start looking at the technical side. And so it's always interesting to me. In fact, we look at many of our historically uh, black colleges and universities. You know, people get excited about these schools, but they don't. They, but then I asked them, they don't know what A&T what A means, agricultural and technology and technological they don't know what a and m means agriculture and mechanical well hold on so that right there should tell us in you know implicitly right that we need all of us to be in this thing and historically before somebody came in as dr king said somebody came in and told and told us a lie we knew that we needed all aspects of the black community of the black community to move forward and so yes i, I do the same i do the same thing i tell young people you do what is going to fit you if you but you need to get that credential and you may need to get five or six just keep as the sister was saying just keep on moving keep on moving find what fits everybody's not going to want to teach everybody's not going to want to be an engineer everybody's not going to want to be a doctor somebody look so look i look i love farmers right i like to eat somebody needs to go out there and understand agricultural science right on let's be honest about this thing somebody needs to uh, understand military science somebody needs to understand wait ready again i'm from flint look at the problems that look at the water disaster that happened in Flint. Where are our scientists to make sure that these things are not going to happen to uh, happen again in Flint, but are not happening somewhere where we're drinking this water at? We need all of these particular folks. And so, no, everybody can't just sit around. I want to be, be honest, as a uh, Kwame Nkrumah said, we just can't sit. We just can't sit around and study philosophy for the sake of for philosophy. And again, I'm a philosopher, okay, and a researcher. But we just all of us can't sit around and study philosophy for the sake of philosophy. Somebody got to go out there and do certain types of work that is going to make the entire community improve. And again, all of us are needed. So for me, there is no difference between the technical side and the so-called liberal arts side. We all are in this and we all are needed. And again, I think we all, not saying us on this particular call, but we all need to reread what Booker T. Washington was doing and not listen to the lie that somebody told us about that, brother. Booker T. Washington was a radical. Yeah, man, yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, we are at our um, hour um, point right now. Uh, so we've been talking. I know this can go on and on. And, um, you know, I, I definitely want the viewers to be able to know what, what you guys are doing. So if you can, you know, give us some fi you know, final say on, you know, the things that you guys are doing uh, with your organizations, if anything is coming up that the viewers should be aware of and how they can get in contact with you and be a part of your, uh, 
what you guys are doing. Um, Calvin Ron Harvell again, Henry Ford College. Uh, you can uh, go online and check out Henry Ford College and look me up, Calvin Derone Harvell, H-A-R-V-E-L-L, okay? My email address is kharvell, H-A-R-V as in victory, E-L-L, at H as in Henry, F as in Frank, C-C dot E-D-U, okay? You can also call me, 313-317-1533. We are not on campus. However, I'm on my computer all day because we're teaching from, you know, home. So if you call and leave a message, I will return return your call. The biggest thing that we're doing uh, in, in the next month, as I said, on April 14th through the 6th through the 16th, we're having a Black Male Retention and Success Conference open to everybody. It's something for everybody in this particular conference. Some folks get turned off by the name when it says Black Male Retention. It thinks that we're not dealing with sisters. Don't forget, we're the Black Male and Queens Focus Group, okay? Queens, quintessential, unique essence of ebony necessary sisters so the sisters certainly are certainly with us i might as well go ahead and say it right now i'm already planning for i hadn't put this out yet but we're already planning for having our black women's social justice something i'm working with the name right now at the end of october early november so that's going to be happening so i don't want you any sister to think that we've left sisters out like i said we always have things for for the sisters as well that's going to be april 14th through the 6th through the 16th um it's going to be uh, a virtual and also, and if you email me, I can send you the Zoom, the Zoom link and any other information that you need. Also, on April 30th, we're going to be having our, um, our, um, our uh, I'm sorry, African-centered rites of passage graduation ceremony. And so if you've never seen an African-centered graduation, please come check us out. It's going to be virtual. You'll get the chance to see the students. You'll hear some. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure who our keynote is going is uh, going to be at this particular point. In time, in fact, I may just go ahead and keto myself. That way, we know it's going to be on point. I'm joking. Actually, I'm not joking. But I always want to make sure that we get some other, that, that students get to hear from other people than just than just me. But if I keto, it is going to be a monster. I'll just put that put that on out there. And so that's going to be the next thing that, that we're doing on April 30th. And so please feel free to contact me. Uh, we also have a Black Melon Queens Focus Group um, website: hfcc dot ed dot edu and so you can always check check me out there as well thank you so much brother for having me peace and blessings to all of you thank you yeah so um uh so if people want to stay in contact with us so a couple places so one is detroit under slash can on twitter or detroit dot can on instagram there you can find multiple different things. So we have free college one-on-one advising. So any student in the city, kindergarten all the way to 12th grade or current college student can get free one-on-one advising just by signing up. We have group advising. We have weekly webinars. We also have a scholarship list that's very specific to Detroit students. Um, and those scholarships include uh, scholarships for, for high school students, but also scholarships for current college students as well. And we also have one-on-one FAFSA advisors. So we do one-on-one FAFSA all the time. So if you need that as well, but if you go to our website, DetroitCan.org, you can access all the services that I just spoke about. And if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, you can get access to all this information as well, because we're always sharing the scholarship list and things like that. We do have an, a sort of a, a, if you're an educator, we have a, a newsletter that goes out to all the educators, but we also have a student and parent newsletter that goes out where we put all the scholarships in and all the upcoming opportunities. Again, if you go to our website, DetroitCan.org, you can get access to that. So that's Detroit College Access Network. Detroit Promise, um, as he stated, um, right now, currently, any senior in the city of Detroit that's lived in the city of Detroit for at least two years, gone to a Detroit high school for at least two years, is eligible for our two-year scholarship. It's a place-based scholarship. 
So just by being a Detroiter, you are eligible. By living in the city of Detroit and by going to school in the city of Detroit, you are eligible. So you're eligible to five community colleges. And as he said, Henry Ford is our biggest um, feeder. Most of our kids do go to Henry Ford for all the reasons he was stating. Um, and then we also have a three-year scholarship. The three-year scholarship requires that you live in the city for four years, go to a high school in the city for four years, and have a 3.0 GPA. Historically, it had required a 1060 or 21, a 21 on the ACT or a 1060 on the SAT, but that has been dropped by most of the colleges. If you have a 3.0 and you get in test optional, you can still get the Detroit Promise Scholarship. So if you go to our website, you can look at each individual college and see if they're doing test optional, if they're doing just a 3.0, um, or if they uh, are still, there's one or two that are still standing with the 1060. You probably guess who they are, but everybody else for the most part in the state are, um, are a 3.0. So kids are eligible for that. Uh, and again, that is a four year full tuition and fees, four years at an institution at an in-state institution. Um, so for that, you can go to DetroitPromise.com. You can also follow us again on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, Detroit Promise. Um, also, we go live every Monday at 3.30, talk about all things Promise. So um, we're just starting that now. So if you want to ask us some questions, we're, all, we're live every uh, Monday at 3.30. Um, the last thing is, is that in the month of April, we're having a set of on-sites. And so this is for current seniors who maybe they didn't apply earlier in the school year. Um, as you stated, Quan, a lot of our people are thinking right now, like this is not as important as all the other things that I'm trying to do in my life. But um, for these events, they're every Thursday in uh, April. Students can come that morning, apply to X number of colleges, come back that afternoon with a full promise scholarship um, on site. They're called on-site scholarships. And so we're doing that. We're trying to meet students where they are. So if you have students who have maybe thought it wasn't a good time, this is a good time. This is a great time. You can go one day, apply, get into a college and get a scholarship. So we want to make sure that people know about that. And that, again, is going to be on our website as well. So. Thank you. Uh, and, and definitely uh, Chris Rutherford with the Michigan College Access Network. Uh, while we are a statewide organization, we provide a ton of resources for counselors uh, as well as for communities uh, to learn more about uh, the college access and success process. Uh, we have opportunities for community colleges as well as four-year universities to engage uh, through our programming with uh, our advised Michigan uh, uh, college advisors who, who we place in high schools across the state, as well as our completion core uh, uh, students who, I mean, I'm sorry, completion core uh, workers who we place in community colleges uh, across the state. Uh, and so those are uh, a wealth of resources that we can author, offer either your, your school, uh, be it a K-12 or high school, uh, or whether it be a community college or a four-year university, uh, so that we can begin to deepen this work uh, across uh, this state and as we tackle it, tackle it head on. Uh, uh, you can find out more about that at uh, 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 mycollegeaccess.org. Uh, my uh, uh, email is uh, chris at mycollege or micollegeaccess.org. I don't want you to put in why. It's micollegeaccess.org. Uh, and so you just reach out to me. I can tap you into the right person. Uh, we have a statewide conference coming up at, uh, November 9th and 10th. And I want to make sure that uh, these topics are elevated across the state. A lot of counselors, a lot of 
uh, professionals who work in the space attend that conference. Uh, and I just want to continue this conversation as, as we begin to plan a community-based strategy to engage in this work, uh, looking at particularly southeastern Michigan, but also how can we look at a statewide uh, effort as well? Because this this problem is not just Detroit. You know, we can we can go across any community of color and see some of the same things: Flint, Saginaw, Pontiac, Benton Harbor, uh, and 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 then even identifying black students in majority communities uh, are still facing the same challenge. Sometimes not, you know, regardless of their wealth uh, and access. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we continuously uh, elevate uh, this need uh, and continuously find solutions uh, as we work to attract, uh, to attack this need. So I appreciate this opportunity, Brother Kwan. And thank you guys for being on and, you know, just hearing what you guys saying, uh, Chris, about getting the community involved, about uh, self-determination. Um, you know, if you are someone, if you are, if you are a black man and you're looking to uh, be involved in serving the next generation of young people as a mentor, as a volunteer, and even if you're willing to take that, um, that, that plunge and become an educator, you know, you can, uh, uh, go to IamInDemand.com. We'll, uh, connect you with those uh, opportunities to be educators, mentors, and volunteers, um, and serve our, our, um, our youth. So I thank you guys for being on the podcast. Definitely, we need to continue this uh, conversation. And, you know, uh, thank you for the work that you guys are doing on behalf of our youth. And we'll see everybody next time.